I just want to take a second to talk about how special our nutrition program is. The food that we create here at Sakara is designed to transform your gut and your microbiome health. And when you do that, you change everything about who you are. You change your mental health, you change your physical health, you change your spiritual health, you change your cellular health. When I'm out in the world, people will say, I love Sakara. And, you know, it's either the person who is on it every single day that I meet, or it's the person who, you know, I've tried your metabolism powder, but I just haven't been able to try the food program. And I always remind them that you don't have to be on this food program every single day. But if you come once a month for three days or once a year for one of our 30-day resets or once a year for five days in January, if that's all you can do, what it does is it transforms your gut, not just in the moment that you're eating the food, but in weeks and months after. It trains your gut to change the cravings you have, to change your metabolism, It transforms the strains of bacteria in your gut that inform your health for months to come. That diversity of ingredients that you're getting into your body changes the diversity of bacteria in your gut, which is the epicenter of your health. And it supports your total body health, your immune system, your metabolism, your skin clarity and skin health and how you age. And so I want to invite you, if you haven't tried Saqqara before, you don't need to do this whole big shebang, clear your week and, and your schedule to do it. Figure out what is holding you back from giving yourself this gift, giving this, yourself this step on your path to taking really good care of yourself. You deserve to feel good. You deserve to feel nourished in your body. And we are here to help you do that. And wait, we just have to say the one thing we always forget to say. Oh, yeah. It's really, really delicious. We <laughs> always talk about how it'll transform your body and your health and your microbiome. But man, our chefs are talented. It's delivered to your door, ready to eat. And it is so delicious. And that, by the way, is part of the nutrition because you should enjoy the path to creating a body you feel good in. It should not feel like you're depriving yourself. I literally just ate chocolate, banana, granola. I had a cookies and cream parfait. I was actually thinking when I was pouring the milk this morning, I was like, I can't believe I used to think I had to deprive myself to have a body I felt good and to have a body I felt sexy in. That's been the biggest change for me. Mm. So that's our wish for all of you, is to give you the food that helps you feel good and sexy. You can find more details and how to customize your own plan on Saqqara.com and enjoy 20% off your first order of our Saqqara Signature Nutrition Program with code POD. That's code P-O-D at checkout for 20% off your first order. Order now. Today, we are so excited to be speaking with Dr. Katherine Clinton. She's a licensed naturopathic physician to talk about a topic I'm particularly excited by, which is quantum biology. Dr. Katherine, who specializes in gut health, autoimmunity, psychoneuroimmunology, which we'll talk about later in the episode, it was really hard to get that word right, <laughs> guides us through many of her profound insights and cutting-edge research around the application of quantum theory and biology. 
If quantum theory is something you're unfamiliar with, trust me, you'll want to keep listening to learn more. This is the kind of discussion that will completely change your worldview and maybe even your view of yourself. I talk about often, I'm deep in the science and the literature around nutrition and cellular health. And then it's just like the deeper you go, you end up in the quantum field. And so if we can start with our health in the quantum field, which might be the more spiritual aspect to health, that might be the best place to start. So we hope you'll enjoy this enlightening episode into the quantum realm. And if you haven't already, be sure to find Dr. Catherine on Instagram after this episode, as her work is something I routinely check in with. So please welcome Dr. Catherine Clinton. Hi, Dr. Catherine. I'm so happy to have you on the Sakara Life podcast. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you guys so much for having me on today. I'm really excited to talk with you. We have so many questions, but I have to honor our first one and obviously one of our favorite questions. What is your mission here on earth? What are you here to do? Absolutely. That's a great question. I am here to help open up a new perspective on science, on medicine, healthcare, and life in general. Interesting. Like in what capacity? I mean, I follow your work and... You really want to dig into some of this quantum physics and psychoneuroimmunology, is that how you say it? That's right, yeah. But for those of you listeners who aren't familiar with your work, can you speak to what that mission means in context of your work? Absolutely, yeah. So quantum biology, you know, we live in a very reductionistic world when it comes to medicine and healthcare, right? We have specialists that look at one organ system or look at one tissue set or cell line. And what happens when you reduce it even further down to a quantum biological perspective, you start to see how interconnected we all are. And that's very powerful for our health, right? We get to understand how the flow of photons of light impact our health, how the flow of electrons or protons in the earth allow for better health. But on a bigger level, if you kind of zoom out, you see that we don't really end at the barriers of our skin. So this interconnection that our body has with the world around us can ripple out and affect the way that we look at our communities, our society, our global community as well. It's really seeing that we are resonant beings. We are synchronous with the things in our environment, including the natural world and how we need to protect that. And our families, our communities, and our global community as well. Really not this idea of separate and divided. Really aligning with our place in this flow of energy and how we all impact each other. And we all need to tend to ourselves, but also to the people around us and the world around us. So that's really my mission here is to broaden our definition of health and medicine. And it's kind of funny, it's ironic that by reducing our lens even further and diving even deeper, we can actually broaden that perspective and expand that idea of interconnection in our life. And how did you get into this work? It's so fascinating. I'm so excited to dive in deeper. But what drew you to it? 
Yeah, absolutely. I was in naturopathic medical school and it was the second year of school. It was sort of that weeding year of school where you have to be there at 7 a.m. And if you don't sign in at 7, then you don't pass that class and have to take it the next year. Sort of that weeding out of people, that initiation year, long hours, a lot of stress. And it was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. I just didn't have the foundation to handle it. And I got really sick. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is an autoimmune condition that affects the GI tract. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto thyroiditis, an autoimmune condition that affects the thyroid gland. I was diagnosed with Lyme disease, multiple GI infections. It really was this sort of domino effect. And I was in the right spot, right? I was in naturopathic medical school, so I had all those tools at my disposal. I was right down the hill from an allopathic MD teaching school and right across the river from acupuncture school. So I had all the best tools at my disposal to sort of put the physical pieces back together which I did. I was able to go back to school. I was able to see patients, do my clinical rotations. But, you know, for those of us that have been diagnosed with a chronic disease, we know that while going from debilitating pain or suffering symptoms to a more productive life and being a productive member of society is wonderful. It's absolutely amazing, but it's not the end-all be-all. It was still not the picture of health. And so at the time, I was researching mitochondrial function. I was looking into how I can better my health, my patient's health through improving mitochondrial function. There was a lot of research out there. There still is. It's still coming in. And the clinician that I was doing rounds with and who was actually my physician as well was really pushing me to look at psychoneuroimmunology. And I wasn't really excited about it. And psychoneuroimmunology is just a big word for how our thoughts and emotions impact our biology, the state of our immune system. And I was more excited about maybe she had a different botanical for (laughs) (laughs) my mitochondria, maybe a different acupuncture. Maybe there was a new pharmaceutical that could help, you know? But she was right, looking at how our emotions, how our subconscious train of thought, how our reactions to things really influence our inflammatory state, our immune system, our hormonal state, all of those things are impacted. And so it was really when I was reading a research article from Martin Picard, looking at how a state of meditation and positive thoughts can influence mitochondrial function. Wait, I just read this paper. That is so cool. It is Danielle's so currently funny. studying mitochondria. <laughs> and it's so funny we're having this conversation because I literally, wait, weren't you here? And I was saying, I think I want to write a paper on how like your emotional state impacts your mitochondrion. Yeah. So that's amazing. Wow. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you with my enthusiasm. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm so excited that that you're interested in <laughs> mitochondrial function and looking at the emotional state because, you know, so many of us know about mitochondrial function and health and it's important to our wellness. But 
there just so many hacks out there, right? Like do this, do that. No one's really talking about the emotional state besides research papers that are hard to get out to the general public, right? So it's really exciting that you're excited. I'm so excited too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting my master's right now. And it's exactly what you said. Like I'm just realizing so many synchronicities. I just wrote something about how the more that I'm learning about the details down to like what are the micronutrients needed for like complex three in the electron transport chain. Like the farther down you go, the more I just want to look up and make things simple because it's just the complexity of what makes us work is so, so complex that we're not even at the tip of the iceberg. And so like the farther down I look and see the vastness, it's like, oh, everything's actually right here and simpler than we, I think, all kind of want it to be. I think we want it to be much more complicated than it is. I completely agree. And I was there, too, in school. Like, I wanted it to be complicated. I wanted to find the complex, cutting-edge answer and new mitochondrial research. I mean, this was almost 20 years ago, so I was, you know, looking at cutting-edge stuff and wanted the newest and greatest and latest information. And... As the research unfolded and as my experience unfolded, it just kept coming back to the same thing, returning to those relationships that we have walked away from as humans, returning to our relationship with nature, returning to our relationship with the sun, with the seasons, with each other, with our own internal dialogue. All of these things really seem to be cast away in favor of the latest and greatest thing. But when you really start to look at it and pile the research up, you see that it's all pointing to returning to the way that we have evolved over millennia and we have been steadily walking away from that. Mm -hmm. And so you came to this psychoneuroimmunology What then was the overlap with kind of like the quantum field and quantum physics? Was that within what you were studying or is that a separate thing that you brought in and decided to study? Well, you know, those rabbit holes go deep, right? So I was looking at mitochondria. I was looking at how light impacts our mitochondria, which led me to the work of Fleming and Engel out of UC Berkeley. And they were looking at photosynthetic bacteria and how a photon of light is captured and transferred to the photosynthetic reaction center for photosynthesis to occur. And what they found, and many people before them had calculated this, right? Theorized about how this was probably the way it was happening, but they were the first ones to really see that we have quantum phenomenon happening within our bodies, within living systems, and it just blew my mind. And it just made so much sense knowing what we know about just from an intuitive level, an experiential level, what we experience with our interactions with different humans and how there's this underlying current there that I call it an unseen blueprint or an invisible intelligence that seems to guide life. And 
I think that's what quantum biology is really trying to unravel. It's looking at quantum phenomenon such as quantum tunneling, quantum entanglement, quantum coherence in living systems. It's looking at the impact of photons of light or phonons from sound or electrons and protons and how these small, small pieces impact our bigger biology. And I was really blown away by the impacts of it because they seem to be really foundational. They seem to be sort of giving rise to the bigger ideas that we have around biology. You know, the dominant model now in biology is sort of that allosteric kind of receptor key and lock model where you've got keys sort of bumping around until they find the right receptor and then they unlock biological action. Same thing that Fleming and Engel were looking at. It was called meandering, right? So a photon is captured and it meanders to the photosynthetic reaction center. And these processes are almost 100% efficient. There's really no room for meandering or random collision or this idea that we just bump around until something fits, right? Random mutations in the DNA. And that's where quantum biology comes in, that there's this underlying fabric of action that is happening in the body that isn't random. And so I just fell in love with it and am still in love with it. And can you tell us some of the things that you found really interesting? Some examples of quantum biology that you've seen or, or that happens within the body. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing that really got me excited was, of course, the impact of light on our mitochondria. So our mitochondria are those little bean-shaped organelles in our cells, right? And they make ATP, just like we learned in middle school biology. And in that process, there are four proteins in the electron transport chain in a mitochondria. And then there's that fifth ATP synthase that kind of turns and brings in that proton to create ATP, our energy source. And we know from research like from Douglas Wallace that when we have a dip in mitochondrial function, then we have symptoms and disease start to pop up. And so they're foundational for health. And when you look at those proteins, those first four proteins, you see that there are actual components of the proteins that capture light and can make the production of ATP much more efficient. Uh, we can produce much more ATP dependent on our ability to capture that light and be exposed to that light. And so that was the first thing that kind of blew my mind because in school it was all about what you eat, and breaking those components down, and those are the cofactors into the electron transport chain, and that's how you make ATP. But it didn't quite make sense because it wasn't like the more you ate, the more energy you had, right? So there was always this sort of unexplained piece there. And it was when I was looking at Fleming and Ingalls' work, and they were talking about photons in a photosynthetic bacteria, but they were 
trying to elucidate how that photon can get to the photosynthetic reaction center at near 100% efficiency. And what they found was that it superimposes, right? So like in quantum physics, we are particles of matter and waves of energy, right? So that photon is a particle of matter and also a wave of energy. And that allows it to take multiple different paths to get to that photosynthetic reaction center as fast as it can. But it's not acting alone. And this is what blew my mind, was that the thylakoid proteins in that cell are really creating this vibration. They call it a quantum beat. A lot of people call it quantum coherence, where that vibration allows for that photon to stay on that fast path and reach that photosynthetic center at near 100% efficiency. It's almost like, you know, all of your friends and fans on the sidelines kind of guiding you to that finish line. And it was just such a beautiful idea because when you look at quantum physics and the way that it's done in the lab, Quantum physicists are cooling the lab down below absolute zero where no life can exist. They are shielding the lab from any noise, from any heat that can disturb these delicate quantum phenomenon such as coherence and entanglement and tunneling, right? And quantum physicists looked at this research and were like, there's no way. There's no way. Our bodies are too chaotic. There's too much noise. They're wet. They're warm. They're chaotic. But it was really that chaos, that noise that allowed for this beautiful reaction to happen. And that's when I just sort of fell in love. I was like, oh, yes, it's our messy humanness, to put it simply, that allows for the beauty and the ease that we see in our biology. And how does that manifest for a patient of yours or someone you're trying to like help heal? Does it mean we need to, I don't know, go sit in silence in the sunshine? Or like, what is it? I mean, that sounds great, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would say that does sound great. It really has us looking at those smaller pieces that I mentioned before, right? So looking at our light environment and looking at our electrical environment, looking at so many different ways that aren't based in that chemical mechanical model that we all learned in school. Now, that's not to say that that doesn't exist. We know it exists, and that's wonderful. But underneath that, there is action happening from the flow of photons around us, from phonons of sound. That's a beautiful therapy that a lot of us don't know about. And it's accessible, it's free, it's powerful. The flow of electrons, right? So we have this cosmic radiation coming into our atmosphere, into our ionosphere, miles above us, that gets translated into lightning. And as we speak right now, there's hundreds of lightning strikes striking the earth at any given time to replenish that negative charge of the earth. And it's this sea of electrons. And if we can immerse ourselves in that, I say to my patients and people all the time that the earth is the socket and we're the plug. If we can get that connection, that in 
it will benefit our health, right? A lot of us don't realize that we're negatively charged. We run on a negative charge and we need to maintain that. I mean, I could go on for hours about what it means on a, on a practical level. It's so fascinating. Yeah, it's helpful. Does it mean like a lot of people are talking about like earthing and are those the types of things that you're talking about? Or like walks on the beach. You're talking about lightning. I live in Miami now and there's tons of lightning storms here. Sometimes the entire sky is just flashes of light and they're not coming down necessarily to the ground. But like, is that helpful for your health? Just being around lightning? I know that's kind of a weird question. No, that's a great question. And I would just caution people, you know, we don't want to be struck by lightning just on a basic level. But we do, like after a lightning storm, we can go out and we can harvest those electrons that are lining our earth and that have been replenished. A rainstorm creates from the shearing of water. It creates negative ions. We can find negative ions on ocean spray on the beach or a waterfall or a waterway, even wind through the forest or through bushes or a field, you know, any kind of vegetation, it creates negative ions. And those have a beneficial impact on our immune system, on our neurological system, on our mental health. So these things really span across the board. And I would say absolutely. Grounding is one of them or earthing as some people call it. Getting exposure to nature. It's not only those negative ions, it's the sights and sounds of nature are also very beneficial for our biology. Getting in sync with the rhythm of the sun, making sure we see some AM sunlight, making sure we get outside in the day and get some natural sunlight, making sure that we lower the lights at night You know, I'm here in the Pacific Northwest in the States, and soon in the next month or so, it'll get dark at five o'clock, right? And so we're not bumping into each other in the dark. We're transitioning to lights like the salt lamp behind me or non-blue lights, incandescent lights that don't disrupt some of those biological functions that happen, such as, you know, when we go out in the AM sun, we get a dumping of cortisol, of dopamine, of serotonin. And those Those neurotransmitters and hormones allow us to be alert. They turn on our metabolism. They allow us to feel happy and content. And we maintain those throughout the day with natural light. And then when we lower the lights at night, you know, a lot of people might be familiar with some of those things happening from our exposure to natural light. And we think, oh, okay, like AM sunlight and daylight produces those hormones. No, dopamine is produced at night. And so if we're not getting that darkness at night, we can't dump that hormone when we have that light stimulus in the morning, right? And so it's this beautiful sort of yin-yang relationship. And when those lights lower and there's darkness, then our melatonin can 
come out. Our serotonin can be converted into melatonin, and melatonin is one of our master antioxidants. It helps us repair. It helps us get rid of any defective cells, any cancerous cells, right? And so it really gets down to how we're really meant to live in this flow of energy. And so much of our modern life acts as an obstacle to that, right? We live in modern lighting that's like high noon all the time. We're sort of in this 70 degree temperature, no matter if it's hot summer outside or cold winter, our body isn't getting those signals that it needs to initiate things. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with our circadian rhythm and the importance of getting AM sun, but there's also infradian rhythms, right? Like longer than a circadian rhythm, monthly rhythms, seasonal rhythms. And it's really important for us to remember that it's not just a daily cycle, that there's a monthly cycle and it's impacted by the season. We can see that with menstruation and how the seasons impact our menstrual cycle. And if we're not getting those uh, signals, then our body just isn't functioning in the way that it should. How do you handle Wi-Fi EMF? I guess this is like a personal question, but like, how do you handle it personally? And then what do you advise to patients? Because it's like, I live in New York City. I mean, I couldn't be around more Wi-Fi, I don't think. Like my building alone probably has like 17 Wi-Fi units and routers, you know? So it's a lot. And as you said, my daily life is kind of keeping me from those natural rhythms. So are there things that we can do? Absolutely, yeah. So... For myself personally, what I do is at night, I turn off that router, right? And that's sort of a routine that my family has had to acclimatize to, right? My teen came back several (laughs) years ago from a sleepover and he said, other families like don't do this. They can just wake up and they have Wi-Fi. They don't have to wait for it to connect. And it was like, yep, you're going (laughs) to notice more and more of that as you go out into the world. So I unplug, I keep my phone on airplane. I'll check it throughout the day if I'm waiting for something, but I do keep it on airplane. I also try to remember that we are resilient beings. And if I can get back to that idea that the earth is really the charging pad, and if I can get out there and recalibrate, then it's okay. My body is resilient. Mm -hmm. In environmental medicine, in naturopathic medical school, it was such like an onslaught of like, your water is toxic, your air is toxic. It was just like, oh, it was too much. I just came out of that class, Catherine, and I literally was like, I need a beat. This is so depressing. Like that everything is just a toxin and we're living in this like xenobiotic ocean of stuff that's like ready to, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, make us no. like not feel well, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I really 
took refuge in the fact that our body's meant to detox. It's constantly detoxing. It can detox from things that haven't been made yet. And we're seeing that with like forever chemicals, that that was forever. It's forever and it's scary. But now maybe it's not forever. We can detox from some of that. So I really hold our human resilience in the forefront of our mind because this is the world that we live in and our bodies are resilient and they're so much more capable than we give them credit for. Yeah, I love that. It's such a refreshing take in this age of wellness where it can feel like no matter how hard you try, that's never good enough. Yeah, and it's never good enough and there's always like something better or something more. One of the things that you talk about a lot is water. Can you talk through the lens of quantum biology on water and its role in in human life? Absolutely. I love water. It's one of the most underappreciated substances, but couldn't be more fascinating when we look at it. I'm sure all of us are familiar with the three states of water, right? That gaseous state that happens with steam, solid state in ice or liquid state that we drink. But researchers for decades now have been theorizing about a different state of water that happens. Some have called it more coherent domains, incoherent domains, excited states of water, ground states of water. And it wasn't until the early 2000s that Gerald Pollack and his team out of the University of Washington identified a new phase of water or a new structure of water. And this happens in living systems against hydrophilic surfaces. So hydrophilic just means water loving, right? It means that it doesn't repel that water and the water easily binds to those surfaces. And he started his research out looking at naphion, and that's a synthetic hydrophilic surface. And he found that the water that was lining that was much different. And when he had the introduction of infrared energy, and we should just say that the sun is the biggest source of infrared energy on our planet, when that infrared energy was introduced, it would build this structured water lining the hydrophilic surface of Nafion. And he found that it wasn't just a synthetic hydrophilic surface, it was also natural hydrophilic surfaces in plants, in animals, in our own body. And when we're talking about hydrophilic surfaces in our own body, we're talking about cell membranes, we're talking about the mitochondria, we're talking about fascia, we're talking about our blood vessels and lymphatic vessels. And so... What he found was one layer of this structured water, and he sort of proposes this hexagonal shape like a honeycomb. As this lattice honeycomb forms against our hydrophilic surfaces, with the introduction of infrared energy, that sheet acts as a template for more layers of structured water to form. And what they found was that as one layer forms, it kicks out a positive hydrogen and it creates what the researchers are calling a proton zone or a proton-rich wire. And 
he actually put an electrode in that negatively charged structured water that's building against the surface and that proton-rich zone, which is directly outside of that structured water. And he found that the separation of charge, just like the separation of charge in a battery, was enough to create energy. It actually was enough to light an LED light bulb in the lab, um, certainly enough to drive biological action in the body. And there's just been so much research about this new phase of water in the body. And it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, my immediate question is like, do you use a water filter? And what do you personally (laughs) do to make sure the water that you are consuming is structured in the way that you want it to be? Is that something you think about? Right. Like, how does this relate into your life? Yeah, and if like knowing water is so precious and also yet so delicate in some ways that like how do you think about drinking it? That's a great question. And I think that there are a lot of water structuring devices out there. So when I start to talk about structured water, people immediately go to, well, what device do you like and your drinking water and what you're drinking? And It's a great question, and I think that there's a difference between drinking what we might call imprinted water or more coherent, more energized water versus tending to what I call that water battery within us. And as long as we're hydrated, as long as we have the building blocks to create this structured water, then we can build it by adding infrared energy into our system. And that's really what people are doing when they are structuring water with a device or with their intentions or with sunlight or moonlight. There's so many ancient indigenous traditions of structuring our water with intention, with moonlight, with sunlight. And so when it comes to my water, we're on a well, so it runs through multiple filters to make sure that I'm getting good, clean water. And I think that that's important because it's acts as an obstacle to hydration if our water is really polluted, right? So that's the starting point. I make sure that I'm drinking good water. And then from there... I really love to make sure that my water has some mineral content so that just that old-fashioned osmosis, right, that can get the water into my body extracellularly, intercellularly, make sure that I'm hydrated. I do love in the summer to have structured water in the form of tea, sun teas. I absolutely love that. It's such a fun routine for me to get into. And Pollock has also done research on things that structure water, such as different botanicals, right? Like holy basil, Tulsi can structure water. And it really does. He looked at some of these things that these ancient healing traditions had always talked about. And so I think that for listeners out there, it doesn't have to be this $1,000, multi-thousand dollar unit that structures your water. It can just be making sure that you're hydrated, which means also having some kind of mineral content in there and making sure that 
we're sort of conscious of the energy that we're putting into our water. That might be our thoughts, that might be placing it out in the sun, in the moonlight, next to our infrared energies, next to the fireplace in the winter. Even John Stuart Reed has done pretty amazing research showing just heating water increases its electrical capacity. So I focus on free, accessible things. There's some things that I do, you know, I have a on a Lima wand um, that I use sometimes, but there's nothing that I'm like, I have to structure my water with this thing, this device or this thing. I really, really put importance on structuring the water inside of me. And mm-hmm. that looks like adding infrared energy into it. And, mm-hmm. and they're really so similar, right? We can vortex our water, stir our water, blend our water to create more structured water, more energized water. And the same thing holds true for ourselves, right? So when we add movement, that creates an infrared energy that can structure our water. Saunas, um, a warm bath, that's one of my favorite ways to structure water. Snuggles, snuggling under a blanket, sitting in front of a fire. Of course, being outside and getting safe sun exposure, exposure to that nice infrared energy. That's sort of fading as we speak here because it's cold and the infrared energy just is not the same in the late fall and winter here. But there's that seasonal component where if I do get outside, even if the sun's infrared energy isn't that high, the cold temperatures help to increase my mitochondrial numbers and function, which also increase my infrared energy. So... It's all just a beautiful thing. Wait, you are famous for talking about, do you want to be the raisin or do you want to be the grape? And that's really why we designed beauty water drops. Yeah, so maybe we back up and talk about this raisin and grape analogy that I like to use. You know, people come to us all the time asking about what is the fountain of youth? So I love to talk about what's the difference between a grape and a raisin. And the difference is water. A grape has the smooth skin, it's plump. A raisin is dried and wrinkly. The grape is filled with water and hydration and the raisin isn't. And so our Saqqara Beauty Water Drops are ionic trace minerals that help your body absorb water better than just pure water alone. So these water drops contain all the major electrolytes plus trace minerals to help the water balance within your cells to keep your cells hydrated on a better level. And what's amazing about these beauty water drops is they actually help your cells take up more water. I love to put our beauty water drops in every glass of water that I drink. I don't think about it like a supplement. I think about it as I'm rewilding my water, turning my water back into that mineral-rich water that it used to be before it was stripped of its minerals and purified and processed before it came out of a tap or went into a bottle and giving it back those electrolytes and those minerals that our water used to have when it was running through streams and babbling brooks. I can really tell the difference when 
I'm properly hydrated using those minerals in my water and when I'm not. I really see it in my skin. Those fine lines get plumped up when I'm fully hydrated. And I also feel it in my energy levels. So much of energy comes from being hydrated to be able to function properly, all the processes within our bodies. Also, they say that focus and kind of attention is really connected to hydration. Your brain is made up of so much water that even a small change in hydration levels can change your brain composition and like make you tired or, you know, give you. So there's a reason like our parents were always like, you're not feeling well, drink some water. Like it really is the kind of like all over medicine, but as long as your body knows how to use it and it needs these cofactors to really utilize the water you're drinking. You can find more details on Sakara.com and enjoy 20% off your first two pack of our beauty water drops with code POD. That's Sakara.com, S-A-K-A-R-A.com, promo code POD, P-O-D at checkout. Great. Go get your drops. And so we've talked about water. I want to talk about food because when you were talking earlier about plants and photosynthesis and how they can capture this light and how we need light to live, it makes me think about how plants are capturing light from the sun and then we eat these plants. What is happening there? That's where my mind goes to and goes to the life energy of the food and how we're we're getting that into our bodies through these plants. Is my thinking right here? Or can you help me think about how I should think about that? Oh yeah, you're spot on. You're spot on. That's where our minds should go. So photosynthesis, that idea of capturing light from the sun and storing it in plants comes in many different forms, right? So when we're talking about light, we could also talk about color, right? Because it's the same thing. And the color of our plants, those phytochemicals, those flavonoids, those polyphenols, they actually help regulate, going back to the mitochondria, they actually kind of go in there and they can help grab some of those leaked electrons and usher them back into the mitochondrial electron transport chain to make more ATP. You know, methylene blue or molecular hydrogen is sort of trendy right now. And I think it has a lot of benefits, but nobody's really talking about how our polyphenols do the same thing. They go in there and they scavenge those lost electrons and shunt them back into the electron transport chain. And when we think about all these things that we were talking about happening from our alignment with the rhythm of the sun or the seasons, we have to remember that every single cell in our body has a circadian clock. And that means that our light environment, that our alignment with the rhythm of the sun and its darkness is impacting our hormonal state, our inflammatory state, our digestion, our respiration, our ability to detox, our ability to be resilient to trauma and emotional insults, just could go head to toe, our brain function and neurological function, our nervous system, it impacts all of those things. And 
There's exciting research out there showing that when we eat seasonally, when we eat the plants and vegetables in fruits and vegetables, in our local seasonal rhythm of what's available during that season, not only are we getting better nutritional content from that seasonal produce and phytochemical polyphenols and flavonoids and antioxidants, we're also informing circadian enzymes. So it's this feedback loop happening through our food that really informs our body as well. So your thinking is spot on. Yeah, I think you turn over a package of food and look at the nutrition label and nowhere on there is it going to talk about the amount of light or life energy that a food contains. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Like in this conversation, it makes me think so much about what is kind of under the umbrella of nutrition is so vast. There's so many things that are nutritive from photons in the sun to vibrations from the birds chirping to, yeah, like how well you sleep to sunlight in the morning and food and, you know, how your water is structured. And we tend to pick a few small things and it's like this tiny little window of nutrition that we use to decide if something's healthy or not instead of the whole the kind of vast spectrum spectrum or I guess I'm thinking of like field of what actually equals nutrition it's so much bigger than I think most people know and what I hear through this conversation is I mean, we've talked about so much science today and really deep science that I think is not part of the regular conversation when it comes to healing and the body. And yet all of this science goes back to supporting the most basic human needs, right? Getting fresh food, drinking clean, pure water, snuggling with your loved ones, getting (laughs) sunlight, exercising and moving your body. Yeah. Nobody wants, this is like what I was saying in the beginning, like nobody (laughs) actually wants it to be simple. We want to pretend like there's this hack or there's this way around something when in reality it's, it's the sum of all of those, those bits and pieces. I think we're hoping for something that's going to change the trajectory of our mortality or our humanness where we can escape the bounds of being human. And really, we're trying things like methylene blue in in hopes of it being a more powerful antioxidant. But really, food and nature, and if we're living in nature and we're doing these things, that is the ultimate. It's putting us back in that driver's seat of our life. Do you see anything that in your realm that can extend longevity for people? Oh, absolutely. I talk a lot about standing firm in that flow of energy, whether it's photons, whether it's electrons, protons, sound, infrared energy. There's lots of research out there showing it decreases inflammation. It helps what people are calling anti-aging. Absolutely. But on the flip side, there isn't an escape for that cycle of life, right? That energy is going to be cycled. And 
to be honest with you, that was also one of the draws of quantum biology is looking at this really complex science that says that energy isn't lost, it's just recycled. And so this idea that it isn't just this randomness happening in our body, it isn't just random mutations and random collision and sort of this existential dread that I've always had of like, how can we be living in this place and so attached to these beings and this life and then it's just over? It was really exciting for me to also see from a scientific perspective that this energy is cycled. And that really gave me a beautiful understanding of life and mortality because there isn't a way to escape that cycling of energy. That's what life is here. And the fact that it doesn't die, our energy doesn't die, it just flows. It's just a much more beautiful perspective than that existential dread I've been carrying around for years, you know? That's beautiful. I love that. Did your science and research influence your thoughts on God? Mm, That's a great question because it sort of begs the same perspective that, you know, from a quantum physics perspective, the observer effect affects everything, right? And if we're trying to, with quantum biology, sort of unravel this invisible blueprint, it really sort of pushes us to ask, where did that come from? And quantum physics talks a lot about the zero-point field, this field filled with all the information. And what we see in front of us is are expressions of that field that express themselves and then go back to that field. And so it really broadened my sense of what God is and what's happening with this idea of something more than humans and a power bigger than us, a force that's greater and ever-present. And so that also was something really exciting in quantum physics because my father was an atheist, right? And uh, he was he was such a funny man. He was an atheist who listened to Gregorian chants, right? Just this real <laughs> duality happening in my childhood. But it was really wonderful to find a science that wasn't so existential, right? That's what our mainstream medicine and healthcare is. It's very existential. It's not talking about this flow of energy or this interconnection with everything else. And so I am drawn to a different perspective. And I think that perspective can not only bring us closer, but it can bring us a sense of peace. Oh, it's so funny. You were going to use, I was just going to say that there's such a sense of peace to you. Like it really emanates from you, which is so beautiful. I feel like, yeah, we could chat forever and I want to, maybe we do another episode all about the mitochondria and, but I feel like this is such a beautiful place in this kind of theme of peace. Like what is your light work for our listeners today? I think that 
we can really tend to that inner light in so many different ways. And for me, it's really about returning to those relationships, whether it's returning to a relationship with our inner dialogue and sort of that subconscious train of thought that we have and being more gentle and loving to ourselves, whether it's finding safety in a patch of grass or touching a tree or, or a bush as you walk by. I find an immense amount of safety and sense of belonging with my relationship with the sun. It used to be this check list of, okay, I need the sun and I need earthing, I need this and check, check, check like I would with supplements, right? But it soon turned into a beautiful relationship where I feel a sense of belonging, a sense of safety, reassurance, a relationship with the sun rising and setting every day. So I think that people can really tend to their own light by looking for a relationship in the world around them that they can start to cultivate and nurture for that sense of safety and peace. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Catherine. It was such a lovely conversation. We definitely have to have to do another one. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on and I look forward to part two. 